1: Good morning, Vietnam! From sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, and if you're like me, you sometimes wonder how far off is the society we've been born into from the way of life we would have in the natural world. We're taught how much better modern life is, but when we examine it deeply, I'm not so sure. It seems like the cheap materials used to make pretty much everything expose us to toxins that we wouldn't typically encounter for an abundance of plastic junk that usually ends up in a landfill, while the factories pollute the air and water around them, sometimes for miles. The industrialized diet has stripped out nutrients replaced by preservatives and lab-made food designed to hijack our pleasure centers and only imitate sustenance. Our financial system has warped our perception of value and self-worth, plotting every action on an unnatural scale of green paper exchange and accumulation, driving people into poverty, sleeping in tents, sometimes right in front of overstock grocery stores. The modern medical system disregarded anything we knew about nutrition, herbology, and natural plant medicine in exchange for harsh oil-based petrochemicals and invasive vaccines, a system so advanced that medical errors rank as the third leading cause of death even by the most conservative estimates. And we're sold the idea of a sophisticated rule of law that is so disproportionately applied to anyone who wasn't born into the big club, to call it a justice system sounds like some kind of sick joke. With these things under the microscope, it starts to feel like we have an artificial matrix of structures and concepts that control and enslave instead of set us free. But what do I know? Well, today's long-awaited guest, ex-Hollywood sound engineer and radio broadcaster Clint Richardson knows a lot more than me, as he's been focusing on these very things for years on his websites realityblogger.wordpress.com and strawmanstory.info, as well as his YouTube channels The Corporation Nation and Red Pill Sunday School. Clint does not mess around in his dense and detailed work as his book *Strawman: The Real Story of Your Artificial Person, clocks in at over 1,100 pages. His vaccine documentaries Lethal Injection and Lethal Injection 2, A Corruption of Blood, total over 10 hours. His documentary Wagging the Dog, the story behind the story of COVID-19, is over 9 hours, and all that barely scratches the surface of what you'll find when you comb through his lengthy archives. So let's get into it. The straw man storyteller, lethal injection educator, and revealer of uncomfortable truths, Clint Richardson. Welcome to the higher side.
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs)
1: Yes, man. This
0: is a real pleasure.
1: I've had a lot of requests to have you here over the years, as we've talked about. And I like to pride myself on being well prepared for my guests. But even after a week of digesting as much of your work as I could, I know there's just so much left on the table. And when it comes to your documentaries on, say, vaccines or COVID-19, what I most appreciate is that you compile so much material of these doctors and scientists just talking, whether on panels or speeches or whatever, and you just highlight the key sentences and make a pretty clear case for your arguments just using their own words and conversations, and it's really a refreshing approach to this kind of stuff.
0: I was amazed. I mean, I was truly, you know, I started looking into COVID, the the code word COVID, whatever that means, right? The syndrome. Started looking into the cause of it and what was going on early, early on. And one of the things I came across were these, well, first of all, the terms, you know, you you have to find the correct terms. If you don't know the terms, you're not going to find anything. And a perfect example of that is if you're searching for chemtrails, right? going to search for chemtrails. Well, this is not the official name of these things, so you're not going to find anything official. You're going to find other people who are asking questions. What is a chemtrail? Where do I find a chemtrail? But if you're searching geoengineering or you're searching the correct scientific terms for these things, it's amazing what you can actually find. In, In an hour, I could find enough sources and material to make a whole documentary just because I have the right term. And so what happened is I'm listening to this interview with Francis Boyle, who actually wrote, I should say interpreted and, and wrote into U.S. Code, the Biological Weapons Code, you know, he, <laughs> he uses these terms gain of function and dual use. And these are terms I had not heard of back in February or March of 2000. And so I, of course, naturally did my best to find out what those things are. Dual use is a real simple concept, and I think most people are familiar with the notion that everything has the potential for a dual use, good and bad, right? There's always the angel and the devil sitting on everyone's shoulder. I've got this technology, I've got this nuclear energy that I can save the world and at the same time destroy the world, right? So it's called a dual use thing. And so anything the military might be interested in That's being done in a civilian or medical or research capacity would be also considered a dual use. This is why, of course, DARPA and all these government corporations, military corporations are so interested in all of this. And the other term is, of course, gain of function. Now, that's the big one, because when we're talking about a gain of function to any Well, to anything, really, but when we're specifically talking about a viral gain of function to a virus, we're talking about the ability to, well, let's say, to be more virulent, more deadly, more contagious, to be drug-resistant, to be airborne. These are all functions that actually happen, and another word for this is mutation. Okay, so when something mutates in nature, we, we know, for instance... The flu virus, we always hear about the mutation and how it's impossible to actually know what the flu virus is every year. And so they make a guess. And sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because it mutates on its own in nature. And that's called a gain or loss of function, right? Mm -hmm. And this term is basically what led me to these symposiums, these gatherings, these debates that they have and they call them public forums but really they're not public at all they get very little play in the actual public isn't why would anybody search for these things you know they're going on they might be mentioned in some journal or some advanced weekly science magazine or something but for the most part the public is just not going to the general public is not going to know about it and <laughs> i got to tell you i've got hours hundreds of hours of these things just sitting here you would be amazed at the things that they actually say because when these scientists or so-called scientists as i call them when they get together and they talk they let their guard down they're talking amongst their peers mm-hmm. so they actually reveal things that you're you're sitting there going i can't believe that they're saying what they're saying for instance that SARS 1 was released accidentally from a lab, and that means, of course, that SARS-2, which necessarily is a gain of function from SARS-1, or a mutation from SARS-1, is also necessarily a man-made or or lab-grown virus. And when they get in these forums and they talk about these, the most disturbing part is that they've taken this and they've done this to every virus known and unknown to man especially like Anthony Fauci is a really good example. He's the guy in charge of doing gain-of-function research experiments on H5N1, the highly pathogenic, already highly pathogenic H5N1. And this is something that when it actually reaches a human, you know, it's got a 60% kill rate, 65% kill rate. And what do they do? They say, well, gosh, you know, The H5N1 virus is a bird virus. It's specifically meant to be, you know, in nature, go between birds. Every once in a while, it goes to a secondary animal and then gets passed to a human because we have the same types of receptors for that viral information. And man, you hear Anthony Fauci just lay down the whole history of how they took H5N1, already highly pathogenic. And in a lab, they made it susceptible or made it human. They gained a function, meaning they mutated it in the lab, added the functionality so that its spikes could interact with the receptors in the human body. And therefore, now you've got in the lab, in these high security, high containment type of labs, level four, you've got every virus that is again is known and unknown that they've worked on they've taken it to the highest possible level of gain of function in other words they've mutated it so much in a laboratory setting to the point where this would not happen in nature cannot happen in nature a lot of the times and have a stockpile of every virus you can think of that has been made airborne that has been made drug-resistant, that has been made more contagious, that has been made contagious to humans without the need of an intermediary host uh, and any kind of animal. So, in other words, they have made every virus known to man into what can only be called, in reality, a biological weapon, Mm -hmm. which... If it escapes or is released from the lab, which apparently, according to their discussions, is exactly what's happened with all of these diseases, all of these major pandemics that we've experienced. You know, they talk about digging up the Spanish flu from the lungs of an Eskimo woman, Inuit woman, and they dig it up and they reprocess it, resequence it, and then suddenly you have in 2009 the release of the Spanish flu. And it's exactly the same flu as it was back then. It hadn't changed, which means it hadn't been alive in nature long enough to mutate. Hmm. Right? (laughs) So, I mean, they talk about all of this openly. There's another one that's not in the video where he says, you know, SARS doesn't exist in nature anymore. And this was 2006 or 16, excuse me. He says SARS COVID, you know, doesn't exist in nature anymore. It's only in the lab. Right. So amongst this peer group of scientists, it is a very, very well known and understood fact that they have done the research. They have given this gain of function, this mutation to all of these different viruses and not just viruses, you know, everything else too. And then of course they talk about the potential of accidents and how no lab is infallible and how some of them get attacked in foreign countries and taken over and stuff gets released. And by the end, they're saying, yeah, if something like H5N1 gets out, that they've gained a function and mutated to the highest potential of biological warfare, we're not prepared for that. There's nothing we'll be able to do against that. It's going to ravage the population all because of a lab accident, something that it's not going to happen in nature in the first place. We've taken it and genetically engineered it, gain a functioned it, and, you know, this is where, oh, okay, this is where dual-use comes in, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now you have a bunch of biological weapons sitting there in labs, in high-security labs, just waiting to be used for something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we're sitting. We're sitting on a giant time bomb of biological weapons. Now the problem, Greg, is they don't call them biological. And this is why words are so important. Why it's so important to understand how they use words to get away with pretty much every crime imaginable by not calling it a biological weapon. They call it basic research. They call it uh, whatever they they want to call it, so that it does not fall under the Biological Weapons Act or the Geneva Conventions, right? Right, right. So yeah. that's the trick. That's the great prime that is happening right now. Is you get all these scientists, so-called scientists, who are not conducting science. This is not science. This is, you know, mutation. This is experimentation. This is not something that's considered as a scientific endeavor. This is weapons-grade creation of viral entities. And I got to tell you, man. What you saw was what I handpicked out of 20, 30 hours, 100 hours of debate and talking about that, and I didn't even get through half of it. So it's frightening to me to know that this is happening behind the scenes in this so-called scientific community, and it's not being shared in any significant way with the public at all. I don't think the public at large, you and me and everybody else would approve of this type of research, and it was banned. This is why Fauci should be charged with criminal charges on COVID, because Fauci, who was in charge of the funding, the NIH, the Allergy and Infectious Diseases Department, he sent that to the Wuhan lab in China, which is finally being reported on the news, but The problem is, it's legal. There's this legality attached to it because they refuse to call it what it is, which Mm -hmm. is biological weapons. Now, Francis Boyle is very clear. Francis Boyle, uh, who again wrote or translated the international code to the U.S. code, he's very clear that you have to, if you're going to stop this, you're going to do anything about this, then you're going to have to invoke that biological weapons code and override the U.S. code because right now, All these scientists that are doing all this horrible, horrible stuff, all this research and calling it just basic research, they're doing it under the guise that it is not biological weapons research. Meanwhile, on the same panel, you've got – I don't know if you saw this part, but the general or someone in the defense department says, hey, look, if we were doing this type of research for COVID – H5N1, for any of these viruses. If we were doing this type of research in the Defense Department, it would be called biological weapons yes. That's the important part. But see, because it's over here in the NIH, under the heavenly guise of Dr. Fauci, the hero and saint of you know Mother Teresa of virologists, it's okay. It's not biological weapons. See, and that's the problem. is You've got this dual-use component, Dual interest, you know, good and bad, literally heaven and Armageddon against each other. And it's the most frightening thing I think I've ever come across. And that's why I dropped everything and made that first <laughs> uh, <laughs> documentary. This, You know, and it really is the story behind this because, yes, this is man-made. If you have any doubt in your mind that these are man-made viruses that are affecting us year after year, they tell you. They openly discuss it.
1: Right, right. Scary stuff indeed. And that is a great summary. And I really wanted to frame up the COVID conversation for this audience by saying that throughout 2020, I interviewed a lot of people with different angles on what this was. Some thought it was the effects of 5G, EMF exposure. Some thought it was just an exosome. Some thought it wasn't much of a threat at all because contagiousness itself is overblown. And I would say to the audience at this point, Yes, I think terrain theory has a lot of merit. If our body is weak, we're going to be way more susceptible to illness. And it's clear that they did everything they could to amplify the number of cases with faulty PCR testing and the number of deaths with death-causing treatments like the ventilator thing. But COVID-19 is not nothing. I think we all know people at this point who have gotten sick, lost their smell or taste, as they say, and gotten a positive test. So... It's not strictly some kind of hoax, though there's no shortage of funny business attached to the whole thing, and I would urge everyone to watch your documentary and make up their own minds, but the clips you use repeatedly make the case that they've engineered these viruses to be unnaturally contagious, as you say, gain of function. Some of the quotes that I scribbled down from these research scientists are, we don't really know what we're doing in the lab. We are providing ways for bad actors to use these things for bad reasons. We successfully increased pathology in ferrets, which is a good analog for humans. We know many labs have released pathogens we didn't want to lose. Many of these leaks go unreported or undetected. There is no reporting agency for this sort of thing. Any experiment you do with a pathogen has the potential to make it more or less virulent. We were trying to increase infectiousness in mammalian transmission. That one's pretty on the nose. New strains are extremely unlikely to arise if we aren't creating them. Ding, ding, ding. So this is all very telling to me. And COVID-19 isn't the first case of this, as you've mentioned. And maybe we can get a little bit deeper into the history here. And I'm curious about your thoughts on terrain theory or just the susceptibility to viruses and pandemics in nature without the labs that are engineering them?
0: Well, I think we have to, as with most things I think that we have talked about over the years, I think the whole key is going back to nature and understanding how nature works. Understanding our place in it, understanding our biome and our virome, our neonatal virome, for instance. All of the ways that we interact and communicate, and all the ways, all the things that our body has in it, in order to, if you will, communicate. And it's a really good comparison, I think, even though I hate the comparison and I hate to use the model because I think it's what they're pushing is transhumanism as well. But the notion that Microsoft sends a update to your computer and if we're being neutral about the subject and not going into all the what we know is true about microsoft and bill gates and all that let's just put that aside let's just say this is just totally legitimate because we're talking about nature okay and if there was no (laughs) secret plans and all that stuff would behind microsoft microsoft would simply send your computer a healthy virus you know virus can mean by the way you shouldn't be confused by the word virus. It means poison. So, if you don't believe in virus, you don't believe in poison. You don't believe in venom. You don't believe in pus or any contagious foul matter. So, the notion that viruses don't exist, it just, you have to, again, lots of disinformation out there. And that's because I think people really don't consider the notion of what a virus is actually doing. So, if you take the model of a computer update, which is altruistic, if you will, or if you take, for instance, the measles virus or the chickenpox or something, right? Those are actually, and there's studies on this, which I'm putting in my next documentary. The next lethal injection documentary is very, very important because I'm going to cover all of this stuff in great detail. So right now, I'm just going to talk very freely about it without quoting a lot of sources. But you have to understand that we're supposed to get these viruses, not the ones that are man-made, obviously. And obviously, your computer is not supposed to be infected with viruses that do it harm. Now, again, we are using Microsoft as the example, so anything it sends you as an update is going to be harmful in one way or the other. (laughs) But altruistically, if we're talking neutrally, which is an art that I think is lost on most people, if you're able to put that aside and just concentrate on what is supposed to happen, what they're finding is all, all these studies is that, yes, vaccinated kids actually do have a slightly less expression of certain diseases that they're vaccinated for, for instance, the whooping cough and that kind of stuff. So it's not that vaccines don't work. It's that they don't work the way they say they work. They don't give you immunity, which is why no vaccine ever claims that it does give you immunity. It claims exactly what it does, which is it produces an antibody, which in the scheme of things, again, really means nothing because that antibody doesn't come along until five, six weeks after you're infected. The virus is gone in the first three or four days. So that's a whole other story. The point I'm trying to make, though, is when you look at these studies, studies on vaccinated versus unvaccinated children. Well, these vaccinated kids have, yes, again, it's true, they have very, very much lower incidences of certain diseases that the vaccine is intended for. Not that they weren't getting the disease, but that the symptoms were not showing up mm-hmm. as much. So you're still getting the smallpox. You're still getting the whooping cough. You're still getting all these things but you're not getting the symptoms and here's the problem because you're not expressing the symptoms because your body is not going through that full infection if you will infection is not necessarily a bad thing when you're talking about a beneficial virus right so nature or microsoft sends its reprogramming and it affects your epigenomic structure now for those that aren't familiar with the epigenome and the genome um The epigenome is extremely important because if you think about, let's say, your garage door opener, right? Everybody has their little machine, and for some reason, your garage door opener does not open your neighbor's garage. Why is that? Well, if you open up, you know, I think most people have seen those little switches in there. Those little switches that say on, neutral, or off, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And because my garage door, because there's thousands of codes that could be done, mine has a specific code that it's matched to, therefore it only opens my garage door. Well, in the epigenome, you have these chemical switches, if you will, that can be turned on and off. And, you know, that's, again, it's just like a computer. You know, your expression of zeros and ones, your binary language. In the body, you have the epigenome, which expresses disease or doesn't express disease. So, for instance, if I don't get natural chickenpox or natural measles, I have a 2,000 to 4,000 percent higher chance of expressing certain cancers because I didn't get the natural virus, which is harmless for most people. It didn't go in, it didn't give me any symptoms, and it didn't therefore switch on and off my epigenomic response. My switches that would say i'm going to get cancer i'm going to not express this i'm going to express this i'm going to express this. You can get the same reaction by eating certain foods it'll switch on and off your epigenomic switches, and there's i don't even know how many there are technically, but the point is now that they have finally done the research and they've shown that vaccinated kids are you know, way more likely to have autism, way more likely to have all these long-term health effects, where you have doctors saying that all my unvaccinated kids are healthy and extremely bright and they don't have any problem with their immune systems, no autoimmune diseases, et cetera, et cetera. What we have is kids that, yeah, they don't express the symptoms of the disease they're vaccinated for, and therefore they are, you know, anywhere from double to thousands of times more likely to be sick from all these other things. The long and short of it is we need to rethink our place in nature. We need to rethink what these viruses are. And we really need to think about, As I said, why all of a sudden are we getting these pandemic viruses? Well, I think it's pretty open news. Well, I'd never heard of it when I made my documentary back in 2011 that the Spanish flu originally back in 1911 or whatever it was, you know, was a typhoid fever spread by the vaccine to soldiers that has now become sort of an acknowledged thing. And again, how did it resurface? Well, they went back and they openly, I mean, I document it. It's not like it's my opinion, right? It's very, very clear. They go through the whole process of finding the proper specimen buried deep in the ice. They had to get permission from the tribe of Eskimos to dig in and remove the Spanish flu from the lungs of the Inuit Eskimo woman and then take it back and put it in the Formica Formulin blocks and resequence it we had the epigenome project we had all this crazy shit that they're doing now pardon my language to the point now where i mean if you read (laughs) here's here's i think the craziest part about where we're at now with this vaccine what they're calling a vaccine this is an article what makes an rna vaccine different from a conventional vaccine and one of them most vaccines against viral diseases are made from viruses grown in chicken eggs or mammalian cells they collect the virus they do all this work takes years for the RNA vaccine though it says the RNA which encodes an antigen of the infectious agent is made from a DNA template in the lab The DNA can be synthesized from an electronic sequence that can be sent across the world in an instant by computer. Currently, it takes about a week to generate an experimental batch of RNA vaccine. Hmm. So listen to the difference in those two methods of production of this. One... (sighs) essentially the vaccine becomes the virus if you really look at it that way the vaccine is delivering the rna instead of the actual virus that they create in the lab so you're talking about something now and they spoke about this in those forums too the problem here is not just that this might escape from a lab the problem is and why it was halted in the first place with And it was SARS, I think in 2013, I want to say, they put a moratorium on SARS research and on MERS research on an H5N1, highly pathogenic research. And the reason for that is because these idiots, these fools who call themselves scientists, they go and they did this gain-of-function work, and then they published it on the internet which means that anyone literally anyone you have a basement factory in your garage or any terrorist group or any whatever you want to call it any military in the world can download that research and in this case download the dna template to create the rna vaccine right If you think about that, that means that not only can it escape from the lab or be purposefully released, that means that the so called bad actors that they refer to can download that and create it in their tiny labs. And then, of course, the idea of escaping or being released becomes tenfold. Hmm. So the reason they stopped this research in the first place was, of course, because hey, we probably shouldn't print this. This is the blueprint for how to gain a function or mutate every virus into a killing machine, a biological weapon. Maybe we shouldn't print that on the open internet. I don't know. (laughs) What do you think? Maybe I'm just being paranoid, right? And that's Again, this is what they're discussing in these panels. This is not me saying this. This is what they are discussing in these panels. These are the people who are actually doing it. And that's why I'm so... Adamant that before you listen to any more people tell you what they think, go and listen to the scientists who've actually done it.
1: Well said. Yes, I agree with that. And many people have blind faith in the medical system because it's just easier to believe that. But in lethal injection, you go over many instances of using the unsuspecting public for medical experimentation or exposure to toxins and viruses. And I think just knowing the history of things like Operation Sea Spray, Operation Big Itch, Big Buzz, and the Willowbrook experiments, that kind of stuff, it's very helpful in seeing that we're just in the middle of another big operation. Can you describe some of these previous examples for people who are unfamiliar or who still think that this system has their best interests at heart?
0: Well, that was one of the reasons I decided. I was like, you know, how can I show that we cannot have faith in these institutions or in these flattering titles where we have faith in the title without any regard to the man behind the you know, the intention behind the title or the, the actual work. And I think most people by now have either heard of or are familiar with the syphilis, the Tuskegee. Experiments—it's a favorite one, favorite of anybody saying how bad white people are—is to talk about the Tuskegee (laughs) experiments, where they took all the black men and gave them syphilis and then wouldn't treat them to see what would happen. Right, that was just one example of hundreds. That, amazingly, when you actually do the research, you find that presidents of the United States, from Clinton to Obama to Reagan, I believe have all apologized for various biological experiments done either to their own military or to civilian populations or to other militaries. We've actually apologized numerous times openly, publicly, for our participation in biological weapons, either research or crimes, that because government's doing it, it's of course not a crime. Right? (laughs) So, these projects that you're mentioning are all designed to do exactly what these scientists are doing under basic research and not calling it biological weapons, which is to basically be able to do this kind of research without it invoking the term that would be illegal. You see, it's not that your actions are illegal, it's the term that matters. If you can avoid the term murder and make it manslaughter, that's a whole different thing. Even though you've, it's the same thing, you've killed somebody, right? But the punishment becomes different. And if I say it's accidental, well, gee, there again, if I say that this kind of research is just basic research, it's done for purposes that are supposed to be beneficial to the population because we're studying these viruses and we're studying these things in order to benefit from the knowledge that we gain from, you know, having these highly infectious pathogens. And probably the biggest argument is that we can therefore make vaccines. And this becomes a fallacious argument once you understand that, of course, we're experiencing that now. All these people have gotten these so-called vaccines. Now they're saying, well, it's morphed again. Sorry. <laughs> what? Right. Wait a minute. What? So the problem is... Well, I'll tell you another good example is, I don't remember the name, I apologize, but there was a children's hospital for mentally retarded children that they, again, the moral debate was, okay, we're going to infect these kids with, it was a a hospital that already had a lot of this type of disease. I want to say, I can't think of the disease, I'm sorry. Something common. Is it measles? It might have been measles, but I think it was, starts with the, I'm sorry, I have to look. But they basically purposefully infected all these kids because, well, they're going to get it anyway. So that they could then study the effects of the disease in a controlled situation. Right? So the morals of the notion of infecting children with... A disease be damned we're just going to do it because it's for research for scientific purposes right and this is the whole problem is science has become something else than science it's become scientism which is this religious sort of belief or consensus based science it does not qualify as science because it cannot be reproduced there's all kinds of studies now that show that most scientific experiments psychological experiments etc cannot be reproduced in a lab therefore it cannot be called science but they're passing all these bad bad scientific papers through all these disreputable journals and you know what do you do you you, you you've got a situation where the science institution has become a cult and this was warned about, you know, many decades ago. They were warning about scientism and the difference between the scientific method and scientism, which does not require, you know, it's a belief or a faith-based thing, where you don't come up with a theory and then test it. You just go ahead and, you know, like I said, let's just give kids a disease and see what happens. That's not science. <laughs>
1: Right, right. And let me throw out this example, uh, you know, for the one you couldn't remember. This is a slide that was from your presentation that I screen captured where you say experiments involving the measles vaccine were conducted from 1990 to 91 by the Centers for Disease Control. The doctors wanted to know if they could use it to replace natural antibodies in babies. To test this, doctors injected thousands of babies in the third world with the drug. The vaccine eventually led to several immune problems in the babies and caused many deaths, although the exact number is unknown. Surprise, surprise. Knowing the drug had this effect, the government still tested on African American and Hispanic babies in Los Angeles. They injected more than 1,500 babies in the United States with the experimental drug. However, the study came to an end when it was discovered that African children were dying at an alarming rate up to three years after receiving the vaccinations. The CDC later admitted that the parents were unaware that their children were being injected with an experimental drug that had not yet been verified by the Federal Drug Administration. I mean, and that's just one example.
0: It's horrible. And this goes on all the time. And the only time it really ever makes any kind of, well, let's say public you know, affairs, the only time it ever is known about is when they get caught. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really bad. I mean, if you go and you look right now, you can go to the government website that shows how many drug trials are happening. And you can pull up vaccines and see how many actual drug trials are happening. You'd be shocked. It's thousands. Right. It's thousands of drug trials that are happening. And the majority of those are labeled as experimental vaccines. Mm-hmm. Okay, experimental vaccine. That means that they don't know the outcome. Right? experimental, right? This is really, really frightening. And they're paying people to take these experimental vaccines. It's frightening.
1: Yeah, it's very sick. And just to give people a couple of cliff notes about the ones I mentioned, Operation Sea Spray, I learned about from your documentary, is when they sprayed a bunch of toxic stuff off the coast of San Francisco and just watched just to see who got sick. And then Operation Big Itch and Big Buzz are where they took infected fleas and insects and released them out into the public and then just watched to see who got sick and monitored it to see how bad the pathogen was that they put on these insects. And this is the very same organizations. I mean, in the measles example I read, CDC... This is the authority we're all looking for as this altruistic altar of science that everybody's worshiping at. It's not adjacent organizations. It's the CDC. So this is the same person telling you how to behave in this pandemic, where it came from, how to protect yourself, and that you need the vaccine. I I mean, I can't trust these people. I don't know how anyone could.
0: Well, I think about all the times that Fauci has been up there right across from Trump and never mentioned the fact that his part i mean i don't think people really fully understand again he's the guy that signed off on all the funding for all of this research he's the guy that was in charge of highly pathogenic h5n1 which i think will probably be the next big pandemic purposeful or accidental i'd I don't think there's a difference anymore. <laughs> um and I don't think people really can comprehend all that time here's the guy that's responsible for sending the SARS research that was banned in the United States to China, to Wuhan to be continued, funding it with millions of dollars. Right? I don't think people really have grasped that that is how this started and how it was released. This was not, you know, well, you'll hear in the news they're going to blame China, 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 China. This originated in the U.S. It was sent to China because the U.S., I believe it was Obama, said, hey, wait a minute, we've got to step back a moment. We've got to do some debates. We've got to have some public forums. We've got to discuss should we continue doing this type of research? And the research they specifically banned again was SARS and MERS. Now, you look at the orthologs of this current virus. Right? The five different strains, who knows how many. And they show exactly what you'd expect, which is both SARS and MERS, and also the added gain of function of a spike protein. The spike protein is basically the key that goes into the receptors that allows communication between the infected cells, right? Allows the virus to enter into the viral information to enter into a cell. The cell then becomes infected. For instance, the notion of an exosome, right? The endosome is the big cell, and inside the endosome is the exosome, which is a vesicle or something that carries something, and it goes about its normal business. in In this case, the virus infects the Whole or the exo endosome excuse me from the endosome then the dna rna goes into the cell the here you know, in fact you know what i'm just gonna read some stuff to you because perfect i mean instead of me trying to put it in layman's terms which i'm exceedingly bad at when it comes to medical stuff, I'm just gonna read you from some of these studies that explain why people like Dr. Kulfman, who I really need to write an article about and on <laughs> he was just recently fired from his part-time medical job. He's a psychiatrist in a prison. He's, the whole thing is just ridiculous. Here's how it works, basically, okay. A vesicle is a small fluid-filled sac in the body, a membrane-bound sac in eukaryotic cells that stores or transports the products of metabolism in the cell and is sometimes a site for breaking down of metabolic wastes. Now, when you go and you see how that works he says, currently HCV and hepatitis A virus are the only viruses that have been shown to incorporate their full-length genomic RNA within exosomes. Another virus that can utilize the endosome exosomal system to deliver viral cargo, cargo to uninfected cells is the human immunodeficiency virus, HIV-1. That in and of itself is another can of worms. HIV doesn't cause AIDS. No, HIV is present as along with many other herpes and other types of viral entities. And that's what causes is a combination of a lot of different things. But you'll find HIV in the expression of the syndrome that is AIDS. But doesn't necessarily mean it's a causal agent as much as information. It's hard to put into words, but Hmm. This is very important. Viruses are obligate intracellular parasites that hijack cellular pathways to complete their life cycle. So when you're talking about, well, where's the virus? Show me the virus. There is no virus until the virus is fully implanted, until that information is fully planted in the host. Then the virus expresses Okay. In recent years, an accumulating body of data has emerged suggesting that some viruses can also manipulate the vesicular trafficking machinery for their assembly, egress, and transmission. In other words, when the endosome creates the exosome, and that exosome is designed to transport information from the endosome to a healthy cell. In its normal process, the viral information that has infected that endosome is transported with the exosome, making the exosome itself the virus. This is very different than saying viruses don't exist, you see? Mm -hmm. This is very different than saying viruses are created in the human body. No, 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 no. That exosome could never have had that viral information that it then transported and transferred into the next cell without it being infected in the first place. Exosomes are small membrane-bound vesicles that carry biological macromolecules from the site of production to target sites. Let's see. Let me get to the important stuff here. Exosomal content of cells varies with the cell type that produces them as well as environmental factors that alter the normal state of the cell, such as viral infection. Human DNA and RNA viruses alter the composition of host proteins as well as incorporate their own viral proteins and other cargo into the secreted exosomes. So you see where the either misinformation or fallacy is coming from. You know, these are very clear certain viruses deliver their genomes into intraluminal vesicles like exosomes, which then serve as vehicles to transport the genome along the endocytic pathway to the nuclear periphery for replication. Moreover, endosomal vesicles can be diverted to the exocytic pathway and secreted as exosomes. Exosomes containing viral genomes can promote viral spread by infecting adjacent or, in some cases, distant permissive cells. So, again, I'm not coming here and giving you my opinion, which has no science or no basis, like this guy is, like now a lot of people are parroting. No, I I actually said, okay, maybe that's true. Maybe this guy's got a theory. So I'm going to go look. And I pulled up, acting completely in neutrality like I always do, I go and I look it up all right Mm. and here's a perfect example viral infection by exosome mimicry so of course here's a guy who's been fooled by the mimicry yeah that makes sense i can even forgive him for being a useful idiot or useful innocent if the exosome looks exactly like or is a mimicry of what the exosome normally does yeah that makes sense through the HIV CR1 NPC1 pathway, exosomes play a significant role in cell to cell communications. Viruses hijack exosomes hiding in their lumen to avoid immune recognition and enter the cell. However, how exosomes deliver their cargo into the cytoplasm still remains unknown. Right? So you, you've got this wealth of information. There's nothing in the scientific literature that I can find that shows anything other than this. So if I can find this without any credentials, without any little letters behind my name, and I can deliver to you all of this information, <laughs> you're telling me that this guy who claims an MIT background, who claim which I can't find, who claims all these credentials, which I can't find, and nobody else can seem to find – You're telling me he can't find this?
1: (laughs) Well, I think part of the problem, to play devil's advocate, is that when we see the CDC doing these kind of experiments and all the most trusted sources involved in this nefarious activity, we aren't even sure if we can trust what they're saying in the scientific literature. So we really do feel stuck without any real guidance. And a lot of us have taken a crash course in medical science over the last year. It was exciting to me and interesting just to even learn what exosomes typically are supposed to do. And I guess, let me ask you this. So people like these other explanations because they're actionable. If it's 5G, well, I'll just avoid that and keep my phone in a different room and turn off my Wi-Fi if it's EMF radiation. If it's an exosome, well, I don't have to do anything because uh, there's No problem there. And then if it's, you know, if terrain theory has more value, then at least I have some control over my situation. And I do obviously think that has a lot of merit. But if the reality is that we just have an escaped man-made pathogen, if we really do have this like bioweapon, as you say, out there, then it becomes difficult to know what to do about it. Obviously, we don't want to amplify anyone's fear out there and the establishment's solutions are things we don't want, like ventilators and vaccines. So how do you advise people to best navigate this situation? How do we make this actionable?
0: I would compare this to, and, you know, a lot of people open a can of worms here, but I would compare this to the flat earth argument. Okay. I'm going to put a lot of faith into an argument And I'm going to add a lot of things that have nothing to do with that argument into the argument. For instance, I'm going to say that geocentricism and heliocentricism have anything to do with the flat earth. No, it doesn't. You're making an argument the earth is flat and saying that geo or heliocentricism is a reason why the earth is flat. Has nothing to do with whether the earth is flat or not, right? But it's a way of using legitimate things to back up illegitimate logical fallacies so when we're talking about and look i'm sorry i've been in the truth movement for a long time there's not a lot of truth in the truth movement there's not a lot of reality going on around here and i'm one who is infamous for saying so and pointing out people and saying look what you're saying is not true why are you continuing to say it after i've shown you?" What, is it because you wrote a book, because you made a movie, you don't want to go back and you don't want to change your information? There's a lot of people who are making a lot of money by being wrong. Not just wrong, but incorrect, I should say. All right? Because I don't want this to be a, an opinion thing. There's so many things that are so easy to disprove if people will just put on that neutrality cap and say, okay, I've got a theory can I prove or disprove the theory? That is science. That is true science. That is what a researcher and someone looking for the truth should be doing. Now, what's happening in this so-called movement, this so-called alternative sphere, is a bunch of faith-based arguments being made, and then, just like in government, a consensus is being formed by groups of, you know, stations or by groups of hosts who are all making money off of product or what, you know, there's all different reasons why people would come to a consensus about things. And then that consensus based so-called fact gets spread around and parroted, even though nobody, you know, people aren't having, they don't have any research behind them. They don't have any time they've spent necessarily looking into any kind of factual sources So we've got to realize that the biggest problem is us right Right, now. The biggest problem is a bunch of parrots who are parroting a bunch of, for lack of a better term, bullshit. If we don't start with that, then we're never going to get anywhere.
1: Right. I get what you're saying. So let's say all those other theories are wrong. We're not worried about them. What we have out there is a bioweapon that has gotten loose or they put it out there purposefully whatever. There's a bioweapon out there that can make us sick. And if you're vulnerable, it can kill you. The system's solutions are worse. The system's solution is the vaccine. We don't want that.
0: What is the solution? Is there any? And that's one of the big arguments I think that needs to be made is that all the criminal activity and all the trickery and all the false reporting and all of that stuff, That again has nothing to do with whether it's a virus or not a virus. That is completely separate. That is all man-made stuff. That is all paperwork. That is all statistics. That is all stuff where people are lying about stuff. That has nothing to do with the fact that these scientists, so-called scientists, have sat down and they openly discuss what they've created. Right. How do we protect
1: ourselves from it? these,
0: These are two separate things, and we have to put all that consensus-based opinion, we have to put it aside. Then we can talk about your question. Now, what is the question?
1: How do we keep ourselves and our families safe from this bioweapon that is out there?
0: Viruses are meant to be spread. And this is what I was trying to get at earlier, right? If you go watch some of those old TV programs, you know, the Brady Brunch, for instance, you know, the Flintstones, all these different old cartoons we used to watch in old shows. But kids are just so excited that they have measles and they get to stay home a week from school and, you know, you had chickenpox parties and you had all this. It's really important to understand these are supposed to be part of your childhood, right? A lot of these diseases. Now, when we move up to a virus that has been purposefully genetically modified, Is that something you're supposed to catch? No. No. What they've done is they've attached the receptors and the protein spikes from things you are supposed to catch, and now you have something that is purposefully made to be contagious. Now, contagion is one gain of function, being more deadly is another gain of function. Now, it seems to me that yes a lot of people are suffering from this and a lot of people are being harmed by it but most of those people are in situations where you know we we're talking about old, the older populations who have some as they say comorbidity or something like that so i'm calling the alarm on the fact that they have this stockpile of biological weapons sitting there in unsafe environments just waiting to be released. So you're probably asking the wrong person. You know, I'm I'm saying this is way worse than you can possibly imagine in the background, the things that are waiting to be released. This is what we should be focusing on. COVID, in a way, is almost, hey, we're kinda lucky that we're getting the COVID instead of the H5N1 at this point. I don't know if it's being planned deliberately or if it's being released accidentally, whatever. We're lucky that it's only this and not something that's going to kill 60, 70,
1: 80, 90%. Okay. Yeah. Well, is it just pointless to build up our immune system? Is it pointless? I mean, we have some resistances, right? We should armor up ourselves. Terrain theory has some merit, Uh, maybe not against super viruses that are made in this lab, and hopefully one doesn't get out, but we can do something besides just sit and twiddle our thumbs and hope that something doesn't get out, right? I mean, to an extent.
0: But that's what we are doing. We're sitting in unhealthy environments, twiddling our thumbs, eating a bunch of crap, and we've been eating a bunch of crap for a long time, so we don't have the nutrients built up in our nutrient tank to possibly... Fine, that's why the United States and Some doctors have been saying, look, the United States has an eight times higher rate of mortality and bad events because we're the most unhealthy society on earth.
1: Right. So get off processed foods, get more sunlight, drink quality water, avoid the medical system.
0: If anything, it's a reminder of how badly we are treating our bodies. You know, you could even go so far as to say, look, if we're going to treat our Immune systems, the way we've treated them, if we're going (laughs) to, if we've all been tricked into the vaccines and the medications and all these different things that cause autoimmune disease and everything else, we kind of deserve the fate of becoming sick and having all these problems Hmm. because we've allowed this to happen. This has all been voluntary on our parts. We can't forget that. We can blame as many people as we want, but let's step back a moment and say, well, who's in charge of your diet? Who's in charge of your Medical history? Who's in charge of all these things? Well, you are. Right? So I don't think that we can look back. I think we have to look forward. And if we look forward, what we have to look forward to are events that are going to decimate the population, events that are going to attack a certain part of the population. Events, you know, I'm afraid more than anything that this COVID, because COVID, like HIV and AIDS, you know, makes men. Sterile. We've already seen all kinds of these tests showing that men who get COVID are sterile or producing enough white blood cells, dead white blood cells in their sperm, to be sterile. And then you've got the vaccine, which attacks the citogen, I think is a chemical. And citogen, if you have an autoimmune response in your body where your body starts attacking its own functionality, well, if you need this chemical, to produce placenta and your body says no every time it sees that chemical for instance if you were to get pregnant we're going to attack the body's ability to create placenta or go into spermatogenesis or anything else you're talking about a mass sterilization campaign you're talking about something that's way beyond what we're imagining as just okay it's contagious but it's not that deadly and this is a no there's a much more grand purpose behind this I'm afraid that what you're seeing now is just the tip of the iceberg, and that in five years out you're going to start seeing all these autoimmune diseases and If people aren't familiar with autoimmune disease, you really need to start reading up on what an auto antibody is and what an autoimmune disease is because it is literally your body attacking yourself anything you know this is how they cause sterilization in all mammals is by just injecting a piece of pig ovary into your system and your body starts attacking that as a foreign entity and it's so similar to you that it starts attacking your own and suddenly you can't have children All right, there's so much more going on behind this and i think most of your audience realizes that
1: <laughs> yeah i think so too and it's like Sure, there are things we can do in our immediate environment to shore up our immune systems to a degree against most natural things. And there's also a lot of models out there, whether it's government think tank models like Deagle or even more esoteric, clairvoyant-type predictions. And everybody is saying that in the next five, six years, we're talking about 60% reduction of the planet, 80% reduction of the human population. There's many different Areas where if you ask them for their best guess at what the next five to ten years looks like, it's something like
0: that. And that's sad. The only thing I can really tell you, and this goes from coming full circle all through the learning the legal side of things, going through the Bible, learning what the Bible actually says and what it warns about, going through, you know, as a purely, again, a purely neutral, non-religious way looking at the Bible as a book of law, you know, what you should follow to be healthy, for instance, looking at all these different things, I can only tell you this. What is the purpose of life? What is that which makes life possible? It is the purity of the systems, the biomes, and all these different things that allow us to have existence within this and the microbiome and all these viruses and all these different you know macrophages and all these different things that that are in our bodies are there to keep us in that purified rarefied state because that is how we are able to live in nature what is happening to us craig is that we are being removed systematically From our ability to communicate naturally in ways we don't even understand with nature so the only way i can answer your question is to remove yourself from all things that are unnatural to go back to nature in a real way where's your water supply coming what's your food supply coming from Are there nutrients in your foods? What have you done to ensure—this is the only thing I can tell you because the farther you get away from this ability to accept viruses from nature, right, if you have an autoimmune disease because you've been injected with something else that causes your body to fight this, one of the things that people are dying of right now is because— and this was the reason that this should have never happened in the first place because all the rat models, all the mouse models, all the mice that were injected with any kind of experimental vaccine when it, as far as an RNA vaccine that we're talking about, they all died when they were then exposed to the real virus, right? the circulating virus, excuse me, right? So that's what's happening to people is you're developing these, they call them a cytokine storm or whatever. You're basically having an autoimmune response to your own system. You're creating autoantibodies, which then attack any you know antibodies, basically. And you're having this cascade effect where, look, as much as we like it or hate it, this COVID thing is pretty much now in the circulation. If you get this vaccine, 5 to 10% of people are probably going to develop this autoimmune disease, maybe more over time. I don't know. That's going to make them extremely allergic to the COVID virus. This was shown in all the models, all the tests, all the things they did that said, no, we shouldn't do RNA virus vaccines. Every single rat, mouse, excuse me, they died when they came into contact with the circulating or I hate to call it natural virus, but wild type virus because it's a man-made virus. But you get the point. Now you're talking about in three to five years, you're going to see different types of these autoimmune responses, anywhere from sterilization to there's like 11 or 12 different things they've listed now as side effects that are autoimmune diseases. That is what's going to wipe us out because what does that really mean? That means you're allergic to yourself. You're fighting your body's own capacity to exist in nature. Right. Right? So the only thing I can tell you, folks, is to go back to nature, stop putting artificial things in your body 100%. Yeah, Because everything you do, every vaccine, every drug you take, you know, some of them are purely accidental. Some of them are designed to take you out of that cycle to the point where you won't even be able to exist without transhumanism. You won't be able to live without artificial things given to you to support you because you're no longer part of nature and at that point you can be patented
1: which would be the least of your problems
0: (laughs) right right so the only thing i can tell you is to you know every science fiction or other kind of story that talks about this it always refers to what's happening right now and that is a war against nature
1: yeah I mean, that is the simple, easy answer is avoid the vaccine, avoid the medical system, avoid man-made, unnatural compounds going into your body, and do the best you can to stay in the natural world. That is the long and short of it. That's the simple answer. I hope people take that advice.
0: That's the biblical answer, too, by the way.
1: (laughs) Well, all right, then. Fair enough. And I got one last question, if we can squeeze this in, but I was curious about this statement you make on your about page on the website where you write after nearly four years of continuous contributions to this blog, I must disclaim that many of my previous misconceptions and earlier posts have been changed and corrected in later posts, a necessary learning curve for such a monstrously and purposefully obfuscating history written by the controllers and victors of the past. I think that's well-written, and we all make mistakes sometimes. What are some of the biggest things that you're referring to here? What have been some of these misconceptions that you've had to wise up to with more research over time?
0: I'll give you a big one. I read the damn Constitution. (laughs) 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 And then I, I looked back at some of my earlier things, and I'm like, I can't believe I ever actually said the Constitution was a good thing. I can't even remember thinking that. Honestly, I, I've made mistakes where I put in my opinion, as we were talking about earlier, you know, once you put your opinion on something and you stop yourself from being open to change, well then, you know, again, your foundation is flawed. Your entire superstructure is going to fail. So if I have something that I've, thought is true that's been an untrue my whole life well then everything else is going to be based on that untruth and i can never possibly be right so you have to always have an open mind again science a scientific mind where no matter what your current theory is it can be and probably will be broken it probably will be improved on or proven wrong right and The only way to do that is to keep going forward, not to reach some point and then just say, "Okay, that's it. I'm done. I don't need to go any further. I've found the truth. You know, I happen to believe that there's several different matrices set up for us. You know, there's the mainstream matrix. There's the alternative matrix for those who think they've escaped the mainstream. And then there's the next matrix for those who think they've escaped the alternative. Right. And then there's one beyond that that, uh, you know, who knows? There's all kinds of simulations set up. There's all kinds of mindsets you can get into that think, ah, oh, you know, I have knowledge, I have this, and that. so one of them. How about the Fed? You know, I I was all about Ron Paul and da 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 da, da and then I then I read the Federal Reserve Act. I tore down the entire Fed mess. and that was probably one of my first encounters with the truth movement. That they don't want the truth because history would be. One of the pillars I'm sorry now that i ah, <laughs> now that I just said that yeah. history is absolutely the most important part of any domineering tyranny or country, as we call it, because without the history, why would anybody accept the United States as a government unless it had the history, the false history, the false narrative that they put out about the founding fathers and all that stuff, right? Nobody in their right mind would allow such a corrupt entity as the united states government to exist and control them if they understood or i should say if there was no history behind it right Mm -hmm. the history is of course written by the victors history he who controls the past controls the future etc etc so history is absolutely one of the most important pillars and it even defines us because how many times i mean how many times have you lied about yourself
1: countless (laughs)
0: probably okay i need to say nothing more and we're all and we all have to admit that we all have to come down to earth and we all have to say hey we omit details or we don't want people to know something stupid we did in our past or whatever it is it's understandable but it's when you start believing in that and you start omitting your own history that you become the problem you start omitting the fact that the founding fathers were slaveholders, when you start omitting the fact that everything about what they did doesn't somehow add up, when you omit the fact that they are all masons, when you, you know, it it just, the whole thing becomes the concept of history, in other words, and why history is always sort of very close to fiction and all these other allegories and all that. It's because there is no such thing as history. Mm Mm-hmm right? History is always a lie. Even the history we tell about ourselves is a lie. How can you expect history to be true when in 2010, some guy decides to write an autobiography about someone who lived a thousand years ago? Mm -hmm. That's not history. That's not even autobiography. That's not even, that shouldn't even count as anything. For one thing, we're living in completely different times. You cannot compare the past with the future. You cannot technology has brought us into a place where if it's taken away, we're so dumb right now, we we wouldn't know how to feed ourselves. It's true. So, you cannot compare the history of yesterday, to the history of today. Just it's non factual. It it cannot be applied. And I think that's why it's so important to learn from history like why are we telling about history? Because we want to pass on a moral story. We don't want to repeat the errors of the past. That's a very important way. And that's what the Bible is. It's an allegory. It's a way of having a moral compass to guide you through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's nothing else. It's it's not meant to be a history. It's not meant to be. Nowhere in it does it say it's a history. Everything has been so inverted, again, that we should hate what we should love and love what we should hate that (laughs) we 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 just have to come back down now i sorry i lost the original question
1: (laughs) all good all good just uh your opinions that have changed over time and you gave us some great examples
0: yeah i mean i've made some really stupid mistakes that just because i think i know you know and i've learned from those mistakes i say no just because i wrote a thing on parasites brain parasites and you know my my opinion that the reason things are so messed up is because people have parasites in their heads that are changing their you know just like in nature when a parasite infects a ladybug and the ladybug then protects the wasp you know that's eating out its guts right all these different parasites in nature it's fascinating to look at then when you start looking at human brain parasites and you're like holy crap there's all these parasites that can make us dumb that can make us do stupid things. There's toxoplasmosis. 40% of the population has toxoplasmosis. There's all these different parasites. I'm like, God, it would make sense that the reason things are so nuts right now is that we're parasitically infected by something that we're not, you know, it's making us pretty much psychopathic. However, when I wrote that, I assumed, when I saw the word Sanger, I just, my mind raced right to Margaret Sanger, and it was the Sanger Institute, which is not Margaret Sanger, and I wrote this whole saying on eugenics, and da-da-da, and the Sanger, and and it turns out, you know, after I'm all done, and it's released, and it's, you know, wonderful, I have to go back and I have to change it, because I made this huge mistake by automatically assuming the name Sanger applied to Margaret Sanger. <laughs>
1: Classic conspiracy issue, you know, these uh, playing fast and loose with the terms. It happens to us.
0: Well, so you have to You make a decision. Because I'm not making any money from selling that as a final product, why would I have a problem going back and fixing it? Now, all these people who are promoting all these things that I've found out are not true. Unfortunately, they're not going to go change their books or their documentaries or anything else even though I've openly challenged people on it, well, you know, it's...
1: I mean, I don't know. I make money. This is my career. I make money from interviewing guests and they have contradictory opinions all the time. And if something is said that turns out to be true, I have no problem saying uh, that was a red herring. Let's not go into that area again. I have no problem doing that. And it doesn't have anything to do with this as a model for income.
0: Yeah, but for people like G. Edward Griffin, who literally is the go-to guy for you know, what the Fed is, and he wrote the creature from Jekyll Island and all that stuff. When you go in and you disprove just about everything he says in there, and it's, you know, congressional record shows that it's not true, you know, what do you do? (laughs) Yeah. All you can do is expose it and hope people come out of this lie that the Fed is not part of the Fed, that it wasn't created by Congress somehow, you know. So again, that took a major part of my life to say, look, I was wrong about the Fed. I, I looked at the comprehensive annual financial report, the audit of the Fed. Oh, wait a minute, there's no audit. Yes, there is. Ron Paul knows about the audit. He's very aware of the audit, and he refuses to talk about the CAFR. Go to the Federal Reserve website. It tells you where the audit is, what it is, and that's all it'll ever be, because that's the full audit of the Fed. Right on. And all the things they say that you know, the Fed doesn't talk about, It's right in the CAFR. All the things you could want. Everything they say is not in the, that needs to be audited, it's in the audit. Hmm. It's called a comprehensive annual financial report, and every government agency has one, because they're all corporations. All corporations must file a comprehensive annual financial report.
1: Right, and this sounds like, obviously, it's getting into a whole other can of worms, but don't you think there are black budgets and hidden money, and that some of this stuff is just for show, and just to placate? the masses, and a real audit is probably not the same as what they're willing to put down on the books?
0: Well, no. It's actually the opposite. It's the only time they're under oaths. Uh, well. So if you lie on the audit, you will be in some serious trouble. Think about People think about lie. This.
1: People in the club lie under oath all the time.
0: Right, but you got to understand, I figured out this whole system by looking at the Kaffirs. That was the first thing I ever looked at because I just – Was circumstance. I met Walter Burian. I'm doing all this. And then I figured out okay, all the stock in the world is owned by government, by pension funds, and by government literally owns every corporation on earth through stock investment. I had no idea that was the case. Mm -hmm. Nobody seems to know. Right. But I figured that out because here's an audit. I didn't know there was an actual audit because Ron Paul and G. Edward Griffin and all these guys are telling me there's no audit. Yet here it is. It's required Mm -hmm. by law, it's under oath. And everything I could want to know is in there. And you compare it to the budget report, you see that they're hiding all kinds of stuff by not reporting it in the budget, but reporting it in this little-known document called the CAFR. You can get it for your city, you can get it for any municipal corporation, the state, the county, the district, the school districts. I did four documentaries on it. And yet, people are still believing that there's no audit for the Fed. And the Fed was some magical thing that somehow is disconnected from government. (laughs) And I've completely just just disproven this. And like I said, I'm troubled by authors who will not make a statement like I just made that you just read on the blog, who will not go back and change their works because they know they're wrong. They're proven wrong. They're in a corner, but they're selling books.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, we all make mistakes, live and learn. It is a journey. We should be wise enough to at least admit our mistakes when we make them. But man, we really covered a lot today. Obviously, we fit in as much as we could, but you've got hours and hours of really good research across your channels and websites. Tell people the best way to follow up on your work and how to navigate through the Corporation Nation versus the Red Pill Sunday School. What's the latest bit shoot over YouTube? All that good stuff.
0: Yeah, well, YouTube decided to well, they've been three of my videos, either my video or when I was in. And so I kind of moved my stuff over to bit shoot. And we'll try to keep posting on both. But both of those channels are called Red Pill Sunday School. I did two radio seasons. So there's, I don't know, probably 100 hours of stuff up there on Red Pill Sunday School, which is all of my research and stuff. And my blog is reality blogger with one g realityblogger.wordpress.com and that's all that is free everything's free all my documentaries and everything i decided that when i first started because i didn't want to be compromised in any way by money or people trying to influence what i say and don't say hmm. and you know that definitely made a difference definitely allowed me to go places a lot of people don't want to go and it also brought a lot of self awareness because you really ultimately the end goal of any research you do is going to end up with yeah there's a problem but you're the one you know each of us individually and as a group are the one promoting the problem by participating in it participating in the lies participating believing that there is a fed and that money is has value and You know, all that stuff. So, yeah, otherwise, I've got all my old radio shows. About a thousand of them are up at, let's see, Corporation Nation Radio Archive, I believe is what it's called. I haven't looked at that in a while, though. But, uh, yeah, otherwise, all my documentaries. Oh, the Corporation Nation is a channel on YouTube that has my old documentaries as well. Very cool yeah
1: right on well, this was a pleasure, man. I think we gave the people plenty to ponder. Thanks for coming on. I'm glad we could do it finally after so long.
0: I don't know it's been a while, huh? Yes, and you know what? Uh, likewise, you were one of the most requested people to do a show with on my end as well. Oh, wow, so isn't that interesting?
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. I'm just a humble stoner college dropout, so
0: hey,, right there with you.
1: <laughs> fair, cool, well, enjoy the day, man. Take care out there and keep fighting the good fight. All right, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. You got it. Have a good one. Well, well, well. Clint Richardson. All right. A guy who has been on my potential guest list for years, actually. If you recall the couple of shows we've done about viruses and vaccines with Patrick Jordan, who promotes his serum sickness postulate, that the vast majority or even maybe all modern disease, can be attributed to the emergence and development of vaccines and really just putting uh, unnatural things in our body. We don't know how it reacts years later. Well, as far as I understand, Patrick Jordan and Clint became close through a multitude of appearances on Clint's old radio show. So I'm pretty sure they had a little bit of influence on one another, or at least researched in parallel as they formed their thoughts around how a lot of these things work. I meant to ask Clint about Patrick, but there's only so much time. And he gave us a little extra time, which I am appreciative of. But I'm pretty sure that is probably the main reason Clint has had a slew of requests for him to be on THC, and I'm glad we could finally make it happen. It seems like the right time. Clint's coronavirus expose is nine hours, guys. But as we said, it's very little commentary from him. It's mostly a compilation of these gain-of-function researchers talking about their field and the ethics of it all. And I know Clint's answer is, just don't meddle. But is that practical? Can we really stop the whole world from doing this sort of research? Do we want to? Besides bioweapons and superbugs, does anything good come out of this work? I really don't know. We like to focus on the hazards around here. But is there even a point to shutting it down in the U.S. if it's going to be going on overseas? Obviously, this happened in China at a Wuhan lab with American scientists working there. Maybe the governments of the world could just behave in ways that don't require them to work on risky super viruses because they're not making a bunch of enemies from which they need to defend themselves on things like this. I don't know. Of course, that seems pretty unlikely. Part of me thinks this is just what man does. Clint obviously has a strong religious foundation, or I should say a spiritual one, and mine is developing and a lot more flexible, but it seems like this physical reality is for exploration of all types, and so you take our innate drive to push and pull on the experiences in the physical world, and then you add in jealous demons and archons whispering in our ears because they have an innate drive to fuck with us and push to see how much influence they can have on this plane, they, quote-unquote, inspire or encourage some people to push on reality itself to the point that it breaks and the cycle starts again. Whether you inject the whole world with something that can't be pulled back out of the genetic structures that nature uses to flourish, or you create an AI that utilizes tools that are not supposed to exist in this reality as it was designed, And it goes off the rails and opens portals that are supposed to keep these dimensional layers separate. I don't know. But those feel like the two ways to break everything in a big way. And pollution too, no shortage of that. Corrupting the water beyond repair. You know people are doing a good job on that also. So no shortage of reality breaking operations going on. But we're still kicking it. At least for now. But I thought this interview was pretty interesting. Some new stuff for sure, but we've definitely talked about COVID-19 from the bioweapon perspective. Chris Knowles said it first, I think. And Dr. Farrell spoke on it at length as we talked about the Justice Department announcing the indictment of that Harvard professor after he allegedly made some statements to authorities that were less than honest about his work at Wuhan University, Dr. Charles Lieber was his name, the former chair of Harvard's Chemistry and Chemical Biology Department. I guess the gist of the story is that Lieber was a strategic scientist at the Wuhan, not lab, but University of Technology in China because his expertise was nanotechnology. But I think that thread that Dr. Farrell has focused on Ties in very nicely with the overall arguments here. I might have actually missed some of the points that Clint was making today because this stuff can be complex, and I think I'm still left a little unclear on a few issues. I kept trying to return to terrain theory to get his thoughts because I think Clint is an advocate of it. If we're talking about a strong immune system, meaning less susceptibility to illness, obviously... And I've talked to you guys about several terrain theory books that I've read that really try to dismiss the notion of contagion overall with some pretty interesting counterarguments for many big sickness events in the past. And some of them are pretty convincing if you're looking at each event on a case by case basis. So I think there's a lot of good material there, but it also seems that he was trying to make the point that viruses exist to spread. Our bodies have a virome and there is a usefulness to viruses and to your body working with them in a natural context, which is such a key phrase. When we're in this gain-of-function lab-altered world, then I guess all bets are off. The natural processes have been altered and we can't rely on them functioning as they're supposed to. So that's kind of the intellectual fine line that I'm trying to walk. As for COVID specifically being from a lab with gain-of-function properties, well, we know level four labs are working with this kind of stuff. That's not even up for debate. And when you watch Clint's documentary and hear the actual scientists talking about their work, they say those very phrases like, we know many labs have released pathogens we didn't want to lose. Many of these leaks go unreported or undetected. There is no reporting agency for this sort of thing. We have tried to increase infectiousness in mammalian transmission. Any experiment you do with a pathogen has the potential to make it more or less virulent. And new strains are extremely unlikely to arise if we aren't creating them. That's the one I want to focus on, you know? It sucks that the toothpaste can't be put back in the tube, and we are just so far from an era where scientific research and study and tinkering didn't fuck everything up. It was so long ago that we really only have the idea of it at this point. And of course, we know about the simulations they've run. We know who the funders are of this very research and the benefactors of the COVID-19 situation. The pieces really do start to fit pretty well, don't they? Yes, the PCR test is fatally flawed as well. Carrie Mullis thought Fauci was a fool, and I've heard him discuss that on video. And he conveniently died right before all of this kicked off, so there's that piece too. So I spent a decent part of 2020 learning about the extreme opinions regarding contagiousness, and I've even done a round of interviews urging people to take a deeper look at this stuff because there's a lot of useful perspective there that isn't making it into the mainstream conversation, as we know. And it will ease your fears over contagiousness by at least half, for good reason. But again, altering something in a lab throws a wrench in the whole field. And more and more people are starting to ask that question now that people are less in panic mode and doing a bit more wondering. I also think it's useful to go over those examples of public experimentation that have happened that we covered kind of early in the show. Because if they would do these things that are verified, you better be a bit more critical of all their behavior and the products they create for you. And I was going to bring this up, too. I know Bill Maher gets a bad rap for being a liberal mouthpiece. I get it. But his comedy is sharper than most things on TV. It's quite raw, quite funny. And he is willing to take a look at things that others aren't sometimes. And he chastises liberals harder than anyone else when it comes to the censorship, cancel culture route. He's very clear that it's a bad one. He also did a great interview with a vaccine skeptic that you can look up. But I wanted to play this clip from just a couple weeks ago when he had Brett Weinstein and Heather Hein on. Because this is a really interesting conversation to be taking place on a mainstream platform. The clip here is eight minutes. I'm going to cut it down as much as I can to just the relevant parts. But here it goes.
3: We've heard a lot recently about the fact that maybe the virus did start in the lab. Let's talk about that, the fact that there is this lab, I think it's the only one in the world quite like it, in Wuhan, where it started. It would almost be a conspiracy theory to think it didn't start in a lab. You would (laughs) think. Right? Right? And and that theory was demonized at first, that, oh, it can't, come on, that's conspiracy thinking, that it would start it in a lab. But it it certainly is a 50-50, would you say that?
4: Oh, uh, it's far more likely than that. As a matter of fact, right. I said I think in June that the chances that it came from the lab looked to me to be about 90%. Okay. Um, so this was never a conspiracy theory. In fact, that term is simply used to make it go away. It's a, a an obvious hy- hypothesis that is in need of testing and we are only now, a year in, getting to the point where we can discuss it out loud without being stigmatized. Okay. Now, a big
5: part of the problem, of course, is that we are so politicized, we're so polarized and partisan now as right. a country that if the wrong guy proposed this to begin with, and for half the country it was the wrong guy, then the rest of the country says, no way, no how, we're gonna call that a conspiracy theory and, uh, and we're never gonna revisit it. And the fact is that's not how science works. That is not science, you need to, you need to say, I've got a pattern I'm going to make some observations, and I'm going to consider every possible explanation on the table. And did it leak from a lab? That was clearly from the beginning a possibility.
3: But let's assume that the Chinese were not trying to create a bioweapon. It's possible that they were. <laughs> if they were, they did a hell of a job. Because <laughs> they shut down the world. But let's assume they were just studying this. Yep. For elementary reasons. We want to We want to have them... But it got out. It raises the question, should we ever be studying viruses in labs this way, if we're just going to create
4: the problem that we're trying to... Well, that battle was taking place before the uh, COVID-19 epidemic. There was, uh, there were two factions. There was a faction that said we had no choice but to study these viruses, and in fact, to engage in what's called gain-of-function research, where we turbocharge the viruses and make them much more dangerous than they are in the condition we find them. And the argument was that we had to do that in order to know what they would be like in their dangerous form and could perhaps prepare by generating a vaccine. And then there was another faction that said, actually, we're likely to create exactly the disaster we fear. And what was missing from this discussion was a proper evolutionary analysis. Now, the fact is, there are lots of viruses that can escape from nature and infect people. But in general, they don't have a second trick. That Mm. is to say, they can infect you, they can make you sick, maybe they can kill you, but they can't jump to the next person. And so what's really conspicuous about this virus is that it had both tricks from the get-go. It infects people and it jumps from one person to the next with no explanation. And now it seems to be having a third trick, which
3: is it's mutating, which of course is not new. Viruses are always mutating. That's why flu shots are very often so ineffective. Because you're getting the vaccine for, that's why I never wanted a flu shot, for the one that was around last year. Sometimes they're they're as little as 10% effective. But okay, so this one is definitely mutating. We have a lot of them now, Yep. the South African one, the British one, they're, they're all over the world now. Uh, I heard at the beginning of this that they usually get milder viruses as they mutate because oh. they want to survive. They don't want to kill anybody, then they got no host.
5: You might right? expect that a virus that did emerge from a lab that was doing gain of function research would precisely not do the thing that wild-type viruses would do, that it might exactly do what we seem to be seeing, get more virulent, get more pathogenic.
4: You think it's getting more virulent, the the mutations? If 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 you think about it, the the expectation amongst those who have been seriously investigating the question of whether this is a gain-of-function lab-escape virus uh, is that the virus would have been passed through either animals in the lab or tissues in the lab in order to use evolution to uh, re-rig it. And that means that effectively tension was put on the virus, pulling it in, in the direction of certain things. Some of those things were intentional, like infectivity of human cells, which may have given it extra capacities like this uh, this cleavage site that no other virus like this has but SARS-CoV-2, does. Um, So in any case, in an attempt to give it these extra capacities, lots of things will have been uh, inflicted on the virus, including things that we don't think about. Um, So many of the characteristics, the fact that this virus attacks so many different tissues in the body does not seem natural. The fact that it does not, at least at the beginning, did not seem to transmit outdoors nearly at all is very conspicuous. I mean, after all, Most animals live outdoors, so a virus that seems to be adapted to indoor transmission is a bit conspicuous in this case. But I think Heather's point is, all right, you take the tension off of it, you let it go into the human population, it spreads out, we've now got many millions of individuals with infections, it's now going to move in the direction that makes the most sense for it rather than the most sense for the researchers. So, yes, I think there's every possibility that what we are seeing is um, a response to this virus now being free to explore evolutionary space.
5: And the common theme is, Mm -hmm. we need an evolutionary perspective on the research that's being done. It seems that there is, there are certainly perverse incentives to once you start doing research, to try to keep doing that research, regardless of whether or not it's still good for humanity. right? And, excuse me, um, whether or not this virus emerge from a lab or not actually has implications for how it is likely to behave now that it's out in the world and how therefore we should, we should imagine how likely these things are going to be going forward.
3: So we should have been paying attention to the lab theory at the beginning, but we didn't because it was 100%. politicized, really is the moral there.
1: So I think a lot of the things said there make sense and a lot of it jives with Quint's points today. I particularly like when Brett talks about the virus not really spreading outdoors. That is odd. That seems like some type of alteration. And even talking in that clip, they seem to be in agreement that what nature produces is not very threatening without the lab tampering. I also wanted to say that when you look at the models and the psychics and the predictions and all these indications that the next decade will be full of a lot of problems and a drastic population reduction due to some kind of illness. The argument a lot of people make is, oh, well, that's the vaccine damage that's going to come from this global rollout. And if we can't avoid it, I would like to think that because I'm not going to get the vaccine, so it wouldn't be my problem. But I also think it could be the decay of society and What happens at these labs when society falls apart? Kind of like a nuclear facility, and they stop taking care of them, and they start to crumble down, and radiation leaks out. Why wouldn't these kind of dangerous labs have a similar situation happen, just as our society crumbles and decays? That's the scary one. That's the wild card. So I don't know. I never want to steer you guys wrong. A lot of the time, we're on a learning journey together. What people seem to like about this show is hearing a range of alternative angles and deciding for themselves. So we've tried to do that throughout 2020, but the stakes are just a little bit higher because we're all dealing with something in real time. And I understand that early tendency to call it a hoax. I mean, we dealt with the bird flu and the swine flu, and that was much ado about nothing. But at this point, To say that there isn't a sickness spreading through humanity is a little disingenuous, isn't it? It did take many months for me to know anyone who got sick, and even more months for me to know a young, healthy person who got sick. But now I know a few, and they lost their taste and smell. They were sick for a week, and then they were back. I even hung out smoking weed with one of these people for hours, and me and my wife never had any symptoms of anything. So all this is to say that I think we can agree that Clint makes some great points that need to be made. Other guests have done a great job of resetting the germ theory terrain theory table in a proper context. I do get a little uneasy when a guest talks shit on previous guests, but what are you going to do? It is what it is. Not everyone's going to agree. I just tend to leave it alone and move on with my next question. But if we're going to cover all sorts of angles, not everyone can be right. But if there's an angle to COVID that you haven't heard on THC, and you think there's an expert out there that makes a good case, let me know. I'm open-minded. And I would also agree with that argument that vaccines contribute greatly to a range of autoimmune disease that has our bodies attacking themselves. I also think it's responsible for a lot of cancer, and just probably a whole host of problems, probably in my goddamn deaf ear. So I do keep that stuff at bay <laughs> as best I can in my adult life anyway, and I think we'd be a lot better off worrying about the toxins we're encountering regularly and artificial foods than viruses and germs, usually, in most situations, and even in this situation. That's what you should be concerned with because that's what you can control. Is there a 5G EMF component to why people are getting sick? It's possible. I think the electromagnetic soup we live in wreaks havoc on our immune systems. In fact, it seems like the electrical systems of the body are related to immune function and general health and energy levels more so than anything else. So yeah, that could be a factor. But if it's all 5G, why isn't there a radius type of pattern to people getting sick around these towers? Why isn't one whole side of a neighborhood getting sick? Because they're closer. You know, I just don't see that in the evidence to call 5G the main culprit. But if you have doubt in this overall perspective that Clint presented today, sit through his documentary and then we'll talk. I'd like to know what problems you see with it, because I didn't find many. But this is just where I'm at with what I've seen at this point. It doesn't mean. That the numbers aren't completely exaggerated. It doesn't mean the lockdowns are justified. It doesn't mean I want the vaccine. So don't get it twisted. My opinions aren't really worth much anyway. I just try to present you with the range of alternatives and use my skills to try to get the best out of the people who I think do have some answers. And you work it out for yourself because we know they're lying to us. We just don't know to what degree. Clint makes a lot of good points about the word magic and tricks with language stuff, too. I tried to get into that a little bit in the first hour, but it is a much bigger part of the second hour where we switched gears from medical stuff to focus on his work on the straw man stuff and the legal fiction research he's done and the book he wrote. That's always been a segment of conspiracy culture that I find intellectually interesting, but again, not a lot I can do with that information which is why we cover it so rarely. It may be true at a base level. In fact, I think it is, but I don't know that judges and lawyers and everyone involved in today's world has that context, so I don't know how useful it is. Yes, you're representing your legal fiction when you go get a driver's license and ask the state for permission to do something you should be free to do, or you don't want to pay taxes because taxation is theft. Well, good luck to you. It's a level of commitment I don't have. It's not that the straw man, legal fiction, maritime law folks are wrong, and it's good context to keep in mind once in a while, but I'm here to have fun, not get my car impounded for driving without a license or ignoring fines while I get dragged from a courtroom screaming about my personhood and natural sovereignty, which is why a guy like Clint might say I'm part of the problem, I guess. And of course, I roll my eyes and play the game like a lot of you guys, at least up until that point that I need to be injected with an experimental vaccine to show my allegiance to the flag. That's where the line is drawn for me. But if you're into those sorts of conversations, you'd probably like the second hour of today's show. We talked about these sorts of things, as well as price versus true value, the relationship between debt, time, and labor, the pillars of fiction the matrix around us, lies about space and our environment, and we brought a little bit more in about vaccines and prions. It was all good stuff. Sign up for THC+, get the Plus RSS feed, plug it right into your podcast app you're using now, and get the full show. It's time, God damn it! But that's pretty much it for me. I had fun with Clint. He's a good speaker, and he makes a lot of great points, and I prefer to just not get too hung up on the areas where maybe we don't agree. Obviously, there were a couple things that came up, and the people who know me by now probably recognized them. No need to pick on every little thing. But I do declare this meeting of the Midnight Society closed. Take care of yourself out there. Life is to be lived, so make sure you're letting the good times roll, and I'll see you next time. Your move, virus makers, PCR test fakers, and natural world tainters. your fucking...
2: Sometimes when i get down i eat a bunch of corporate junk processed stuff that makes you fat yeah it's a weak and sickly people making industry don't Technology, and every now and then I try to quit and leave.